Welcome to Fireside, your source for discussions on not only the latest and greatest from Sitecore, but also helpful tips and tricks. I'm your host and Sitecore MVP, Josh Hover. Today, we're going to talk about Sitecore content considerations. Joining me today, I've got Jim Patillo. He's a first-time guest, but also MVP and content specialist. Welcome to the show, Jim. Thank you. Nice to be here. Welcome aboard. All right. We also have joining us today, Megan Jensen, who has been on the show before. She's an MVP at Solutions Architect. Welcome back. Thanks, Josh. Today, we're going to talk a little bit more about content considerations. A lot of us have done um, Sitecore projects where sometimes content has been the unthought portion of a, an implementation. And I think that there's quite a bit of consideration that needs to go into to content not only in the beginning or infancies of a project, but there's also a lot that you can talk about as you're going through that project and even post projects. What are your thoughts on, you know, content being a huge part of a project and, you know, whether it's a migration, what are your thoughts? Uh, so I think the biggest discussion that you have to have up front is, um, do, does the client, is there, are they aware of what content they have? Have they done an audit and an inventory to make sure that at least they know what's going to be moving? Um, just getting that whole uh, bit of structure in order is going to help when it comes time to decide what am I going to move? What um, third party tools do I have to help integrate on my site? Do we have video? Are we going to be hosting it on Vimeo or YouTube? Um, do we have audio? Is it going to be hosted internally? Is it going to be streaming? So there's a lot, and the other, like one client that I worked with has a lot of charts and data. So like they need to have a component that's built for them to consume all, and deliver all of that high charts data in, in a Sitecore component onto a page. So having yeah, an inventory and audit is very, is very helpful. You brought up a, a content segment that I think that people might not always consider. When people think content, I think you you think of what the static content is on a website, but you just brought up things like video and audio. I think that those are, are really great notes to call out as well. Yeah, we always see that um, in a lot of the clients that I work with. They have like YouTube videos and they have um, archives, uh, PDFs of like tons of documents and things that they consider important research. Um, just, you know, uh, older, older articles that need to get posted and still have to live somewhere for people to be able to access them. So content takes a lot of different shapes and forms. It's not literally just words on a page. So what are the considerations that you might suggest, you know, for people who might be migrating content off of YouTube and maybe it's going on to another platform? Uh, so uh, generally on all of the instances that I've worked on, we um, like to put, point them towards YouTube or towards uh, Vimeo because there's okay. nothing really native built into Sitecore that's going to deliver um, the same capacity for video as and handle like the amount of load that that, that people are going to get for downloading and streaming video. Um, so and it's just easier to use an integration. I mean, it's been built. There's like probably 10 or 15 different ones that will pull in yeah. either Vimeo by itself or YouTube by itself or some combination of two or three <laughs> that are easy to string together. And so that just makes it easier to present your content on page and keep your uh, your site user on the site. 
one other consideration, and it's not so much um, operational as planning. I've been on a couple projects where when writing the SOW, nobody took into consideration the actual entering of content and it never got addressed. And sometimes clients don't have a realistic um, idea of how much work it is to build out all those pages and to put the content on the page. And we sometimes get a few weeks into a project and we realized, oh my God, nobody knows who's going to do content entry. And it can it can create a huge problem because it takes a lot of time. It can get really expensive and you need to have that conversation really early on. Is the client going to do that work? Um, and, and do we have time built into the project to do that um, before launch? Um, are they going to pay us to do it? Can we pay um, offshore resources to do it? Like you need to have a real, um, I hate the term coming to Jesus, but you have to have a real honest conversation about how much work that takes and what yep. process you're gonna use. And don't put it on the back burner and think it's just gonna be okay because it's a huge chunk of effort. So have a real honest conversation really early about how much work that's going to be, who's going to do the work, how long it's going to take and what it's going to cost to get it done. Um, don't put it on the back burner, do it early and and be really transparent about what that's going to take, how big a lift that is. And then one other, one other Oh, sorry. One other thing, too, is that um, you need to not only figure out who's going to be moving the content during the migration, but who's going to handle it after the migration is complete and all the contractors go home. So yeah. a good a good thing to do is take stock of the digital maturity and like the, the level of um, tech savvy that your internal marketing team has for putting content in. If they're a group that's, you know, typically worked with, you know, we usually just hand off content to a developer and then they hand code it and it magically goes up on the website. That's going to be a very different experience and have a different skill set than putting content into um, something like Contentful or putting content into Sitecore. So it's a it's a big um, consideration to take too, because there you own it, you bought it, we built it, we <laughs> added content to it, now you own it, and now you have to maintain it. So that's right. True. I think content audit is extremely important too as you're going into that because you know I've seen it instances where people think that you can just script that content and do a, a scripted content migration and it doesn't always work out well because you'll have HTML tags in there and it can become painful to try to weed all of that out. Um, so I, I think that that's another consideration to, to take into account as well. Yeah, the last client that I worked with, we migrated 3,000-ish pages of content. Um, they did it script first um, and the script also, they, they did some special considerations when they migrated it from one older version of Sitecore into a newer version. They um, they didn't bother to strip out as much as they they could have. They just did it, made sure like let's get the content in and over first, and then once you have that content in like um, like a, a Sitecore, you it's easier to manipulate it out of one single body field than it is mm -hmm. to try and automatically parse it out into a billion different components. So, True. yeah, it's just one thing to consider. What are the biggest pain points that that you've both seen? during content migrations or even projects? Mine is mostly the hoarding. So um, with this <laughs> last project that I worked on, um, a, a lot of the pages were done like they're, it's a, it's a large or 
institution that has content that's spanning all the way back to the 1980s, 1990s. And they're like, well, we want and need it all. And it's like, well, in reality, how much of this do you really need? Like, you know, if, if all, we had a year to, to make the migration complete, so that was plenty of time with enough people, you can really get things done. But um, one of the biggest things I see, though, is a lot of organizations don't want to get rid of older content. And it's mostly for internal political reasons. It's like, oh, well, this guy wrote these blog posts. And, you know, never mind the fact that nobody's looking at them, nobody's read them, nobody's touched them in the past three years. Um, they might not even be valid anymore. They still want to migrate it over and they still want to move it because it's still important. And I'll put that in the biggest set of air yeah. quotes you can you can possibly see <laughs> from space. So it's just, you know, coming to terms with um, it's like moving into a house, right? Like you don't, you know, you move from one house into another and it might be your, maybe you're downsizing, maybe you're upsizing, whatever the case may be. You don't want to bring all 50 sets of dishes. If only one set of dishes is going to work out and be great. You don't need the couch from your, your spouse's house to come into yours, your, your new house. Um, if your couch is great and it looks good. So it's just figuring <laughs> out right sizing what type of content you want to bring over and what yeah. type of message or what you want your website to to convey to the to the world and it doesn't necessarily have to include this older outdated content that's really not doing anybody any good and that also cuts down on your resourcing too so that's it's true. it takes less time to move less pages and even <laughs> if there are less complex pages that you can move over um, in place of more complex pages that nobody's looking at, that's also a, a great way to, to shave some time off of how long it takes to. So would you suggest using tools like Google Analytics and maybe looking at what your top trafficked uh, pages are? And absolutely. then you could go from there? Yes, absolutely. Like that's one of the big tools to use as well is just, is just making sure that it's getting traffic. And also, is it sending people off to other parts of your site? So it doesn't have to be the main piece. It could be the link in the middle that sends people off to another section of your site to learn more. So it could be great mm -hmm. content that pulls them in. Um, to your site and then sends them off and it allows them to dive deeper and explore deeper into your site. So take that into consideration too. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. You know, I think that everybody's seeing the transition and the move to headless. And I think that, of course, you know, especially as we move into to technologies like XM Cloud, you know, headless is definitely the, the trend of the future for Sitecore. You know, and I think that brings up apart some really good questions about the importance of content modeling. Do you have any thoughts or considerations as we look at content modeling for a headless approach? So a lot of, uh, and you know, that's not to say that it doesn't work well. Content modeling isn't um, something you should do with the traditional CMS too, but I think it's even more important um, to put into a headless system because what you're doing is you're taking your content, you're looking at it at an atomic level. So like not only you're looking, so like just take a blog post as an example. It's got a title, a subtitle, uh, an author, um, a date and then content and then maybe a descriptive image. And that's what your website visitor is going to see. So right. taking it to a content modeling perspective, there are other parts and pieces that contribute to that piece of content, whether it's open graph, 
um, if that content gets shared out anywhere. It's the metadata, the meta description in case that gets shown on search results. Um, and then considering how headless systems now can put your content out, or I don't know, syndicate it might be the word to use, can syndicate your content out to things like billboards, kiosks, um, you can do voice, like it'll, you can have your website show up on Alexa and different parts of your content come out on Alexa. So having that content defined in such a way where there's all these discrete pieces that allow you to assign and point um, the larger structure from a whole into these other um, environments and these other um, these other places is yep. um, super important. Yeah, I think that you brought up some some good points there about, I mean, would you need to think about scaling content, especially if you're going to take that content and be able to push it in to other media sources like Alexa, like you just called out, so that you wouldn't have extremely long bits of content? You know, what are your suggestions around that? So it could be as easy as having a field that it, and you know, repurposing is good too. Maybe the short description um, that you use on your website or that you mm -hmm. use for your search engine results could be the best part when someone asks a question on Alexa and then that short description pops up as the answer. So it's not necessarily that you have to build everything from scratch. Content modeling also allows you to reuse and repurpose parts of content um, to serve multiple purposes. And that's really where you want to get to because you, you get the economy of scale. If you, don't, if you only need to write one short description that's used in 10 places, rather mm -hmm. than write 10 short descriptions that are going to be used <laughs> in 10 different places. And then, you know, I'm sure Megan can, can talk about like having to translate all that content as well and then internationalize it. Like it can be grueling and it can be a huge investment to make. So the modeling allows you to really boil your content down into its most, um, most uh, essential elements and then figure out what goes where. You know, and I think it, it it simplifies and at the same time makes more complicated the idea of content strategy, because let's take social media, for instance, you don't copy and post the exact same message to Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Mastodon now, you know, so like you, 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 you use different messaging, different language to different channels. So you have your channel strategy, which is different than then you know what I'm you know what I'm trying to say like you don't want to just copy and paste and shoot out the exact same verbatim language to right. every single channel yet this is an interesting way to like um keep your library tight if that makes it makes sense so it's a really nice way to like keep all your your language keep all your um your 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 text for lack of a better word you know term mm -hmm. all in one place but you can like see all your versions that are going to all these different places in one place and like make sure that you can see what you're saying in all these different channels in one place and theoretically um, keep all your analytics in one place, which I think is really interesting. So, you know, you have your, your piece of content and you shoot a version to Twitter, you shoot a version to the billboard, you shoot messaging to your um, website Theoretically, I want to see how those different versions of that message are performing in all those different channels, but I want all those numbers in one place so I can Agreed. see if I need to change 
changed my verbiage in different channels, but I want all those numbers in one place. And I want us to get to that point. And I know that that website content is a little bit different than content strategy and omni-channel um, strategy, but you know, in the end, we're all talking about the same thing. Yeah. And, you know, I think that the the common theme that I keep hearing from our conversation today is developing a content strategy. And I think the ideal state that that content strategy is going to come out maybe in a discovery phase so that you can preempt de defining and understanding what field types you need. Just, you know, as we've talked about today, you're going to have different field types where you're going to push that content to Twitter versus a billboard versus your website. Um, so I think that having that strategy is extremely important, but I think it's also worth noting that you don't have to have that strategy in place, you know, when the website launches, you know, if that wasn't a consideration, that's fine. If it's something that you want to go back and revisit and help make those improvements to your website, I think that that could be a project in and of itself, but something worth doing. Absolutely. I know that we've all been a part of tons of Sitecore implementations and solutions over the past. So what are some of the areas that you think that, you know, listeners should really help focus on to really make their content entry, you know, a better experience? I know that we've already touched on some of this, but, you know, maybe it's field labels, but or is there any guidance that that you might have? So a lot of it, uh, field labels is definitely helpful because um, we'll have, um, you have an author that might be completely new to Sitecore. And, you know, if you're working in the content editor or you're working in something like um, Contentful or an, an unattached um, an unattached uh, system, having a label on the field that defines what is that field, what's the content in this field used for, how long is it going to be? Um, if it's an image field, it's like what size is expected? This way it allows, um, the marketing team to put together your content in a thoughtful way that's not going to cause um, surprises or mm -hmm. or show off mistakes. And you make sure it's like a checklist. You run down the whole checklist of of all the different items that are required. Um, I need a title, a byline, you know, an image that's 600 by 400. And you know, you have all those pieces together, and then you can move it right into Sitecore, right into your other system, and get all that content entered and in. So having the fields um, defined and then giving those little little hints so when someone looking at it cold knows like oh i know what's expected here and mm -hmm. if i don't see it i at least know what to ask for so i can put it in and i'm a big fan wherever possible of giving like a visual library of either page layouts or like what a component looks like it really helps to visualize what the thing is going to look like that you're putting words and images and cta buttons on you know it, like a worksheet is really nice, but man, yeah. it's nice to like visualize what the thing is going to look like that I'm putting content into as well. I think so many people are visual learners and and I've seen it in the past where without seeing that component and what the content is, you know, they can't really conceptualize what the content needs to be. And I, I can relate to that as well. So I think really great point, Megan. What about QAing like the experience that from an authoring perspective, do you have any thoughts or, or suggestions around that? Because, you know, I think that we've probably all seen a, what I would call bad site core project where it is oh extremely hard to navigate content from a, a content author's perspective. But, you know, there's definitely ways that we could maybe QA that or help make that experience better. 
a lot of um, the implementations that I've worked on, thankfully, making the authoring experience be part of the QA and UAT process has been huge in helping because you want your people that are going to be entering the content in to be able to enter the content in and not have it to be this like um, horrible labor laborious process where it's like oh my god it's just so slow or it's just it's not intuitive so um i've also seen instances where you know sometimes people forget to add an insert option to something or like a component can't be entered into a certain placeholder or whatever the case may be so making the authoring experience part of the qa and uat process for each component allows um, the authors to not only so you don't yeah. only get the front end and and stakeholders looking at it saying yes that design looks good and that works but it also gives the authors a chance to weigh in and say hey this is kind of clunky or you know they might even see things where it's like you know this component might not be necessary because we can work with this other component and make mm -hmm. it work like we with a different variant even so having you um, authors be part of that process it literally lets you like kick the tires on putting the content in. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and it, no one gets into the nooks and crannies of your website like a content author because <laughs> they literally try everything. Oh, and they're always the ones that find all the sneaky backdoor ways to get around some of the restrictions that get put in. Too, yep. So. Yep. Agreed. And I think that this this is definitely a such a much needed topic because this is what I feel like can make and break a site. The clients that I've heard say, to come in and say, I don't like my Sitecore experience. I don't like Sitecore. It's difficult. You know, when you dive in and you start looking under the hood, that's exactly the reason why content wasn't structured correctly so that it was meaningful or even intuitive. And, you know, just some simple changes can help reorganize. Maybe it's their tree structure where things are residing and then you can turn that solution around to make that such so much more of an intuitive experience for them. Yeah, I mean, I've worked with clients where um, the majority of their content authoring experience is inside of presentation details. And I don't know if you've ever had to do it in a pinch to make sure like, oh, we've got this broken missing component that I need to remove out of presentation details. Like for, for someone that's got experience with dealing with that, that's that's you know still not an easy task. And yet you have authors that are like struggling to build out pages and placeholders like in a non-visual way, like just remembering these long structured names and where the components live. And so seeing them go from building pages in presentation details to using SXA in the experience editor and like, you mean literally I just drag and drop it on the page and that's it. And it's like, that's it. And it's like, and the presentation details are there. If you get lost, you know, you feel, you feel like I, I you know, I really want to spend 45 minutes building out this page rather than five minutes. Those presentations <laughs> or details are there for you to go back to, but it's just a completely new um way to, to build to build content for for most people and they take to right. it um super quick because adoption is what you want you want your folks that are entering in the content to love the system that they're working in and not hate it and i've heard many clients be like you know we we just want to move out of platform x into platform y because it's the authors just hate working in it they don't yep. like it and you know with some simple adjustments to make the um content entry process better you know that that's that takes a huge headache and a huge amount of stress off of an author um, that makes it more adoptable and more um, usable by 
they'll, they'll love it. They'll just love it. I'm going to share an analogy that I heard more recently, and I think that it's completely relevant to the conversation that we're having. And the the analogy that I heard was Sitecore is an an IKEA Ferrari, right? So you the end product is going to be a Ferrari, but the IKEA part is that you have to build it yourself. And I'm going to relate this to more of the auto industry in a, a different way. You know, there's good mechanics out there who can help work on your car. And when you get it back, it's going to be fine-tuned. It's going to be running smooth. You can also take it to another mechanic, and that mechanic might not put the same knowledge or detail into your car, and you get it back, and maybe you now have a stutter. Maybe your steering wheel shakes a mm -hmm. little bit. Um, so I think that you know, even relating to the content experience, it's a very similar situation in a sense that you can have a Ferrari at the end of the day, but how is it assembled to make it look and resemble that nicely polished, fine-tuned machine. Yeah, agreed, agreed. And I I think too, the difference is, is the person who built your IKEA Ferrari gonna teach you how to change the tires and going to teach you how to change the oil and teach you the care and feeding and maintenance of that Ferrari so that you're comfortable and confident being the new owner of that Ferrari. That's true. And, and a lot of it is right sizing. So if you're, you know, a, a smaller, uh, to mid-sized organization, um, looking at a, having a Ferrari to take your daily trips to the grocery store might not be the best thing for you. So you might not need a Ferrari. You might be, and I've I've heard people say, and I'm probably going to get ganked after this, but I've heard people say, why can't we use this other more simpler um, CMS in order to put in content? It's like, maybe you could. Um, it's just, you know, maybe you're, the considerations weren't taken at the beginning to right size the solution mm -hmm. for you. Yep. Right. All right. Well, that's a wrap for this session on Sitecore content considerations. A special thanks to both Megan and Jim for joining me on today's show. Hey, thank you for having me. And I just want to, if I can plug, Sitecore Lunch happens every Friday, 1215 Eastern Time. Um, you can join the, the Sitecore community Slack and someone will post a link to the Zoom. Um, and you're you're free to join and and chat and it's it's part social and it's part antisocial and part psychcore. So <laughs> it's a fun time. And if we're making plugs, I'm going to plug the North American Psychcore Strategy Lunch. We try to do it monthly, um, usually the third Thursday, and we usually have a speaker or topic. Watch Psychcore Slack or LinkedIn for our upcoming session, probably in December. If you're looking to take a more meaningful step into the community, like Jim and Megan mentioned, please feel free to join those sessions. They're always great. All right. I'm your host, Josh Hover. Thanks for joining today's podcast. Stay tuned for our future sessions.